morning to our uh, worship service at West Irwin Church of Christ. I would encourage everyone to come in and have a seat so that we can get started. If you're live streaming with us today, we appreciate uh, you being a part of our service as well. We're going to begin by singing number 255, Higher Ground. I'm pressing on the upward way, near heights I'm gaining every day, still praying as I onward bound, Lord plant my feet on higher ground, Lord lift me up and let me stand, by faith on heaven's stable land, a higher plane than I have found, Lord plant my this morning, whether you're here in purpose, person or online, to worship God this morning. You know, we thought when 2020 uh, was over, things going to get a lot better. But the start of this year has been pretty rough on our church family, and I just want to go through the list of, of things that we have had, problems and people that have passed away. Debbie Bynum's mother, Nancy Droughton, Drawhan 
passed away this past Friday. We need to keep Debbie and the whole Bynum family in our prayers. We're saddened to also announce that Camille Mink's mother passed away yesterday, Peggy Pinson. She had had ankle surgery and had some complications from that and then got COVID. And she passed away yesterday, so we want to keep the entire Mink family in our prayers. And then, as y'all very well know, Corbin Stiefer passed away this past week, and we're very, very saddened by that as well. And the visitation is tomorrow, 5 to 7 p.m. at Stewart, and the funeral is Tuesday at 2 p.m. at Glenwood Church Christ. If you'll keep the Stiefer family in our prayers as well. And Fred Powell passed away this past week, and his services were... Thursday, long, long time member of West Irwin, and Doug Skinder, who's Keith's brother, passed away this past week also, and his services were Thursday. A long, sobering list. We hoped that the start of the year would be much better than that, but it will get better with time. Phil Martz and Stan Clark are both recovering from surgery they had this past week, and Let's keep in memory of Fred Wingate, Debbie Jones, and, and Jerry Frick who are un, undergoing treatments. And the long list that's in the, in the email of everyone that here is struggling with COVID, including we just learned of Scotty Albritton's parents, both of his parents are in the hospital with COVID right now. So go through that list and keep all these families in, in our prayers because um, they need uplifting, they need our support, they need our prayers. So I want to visit with y'all a little bit about this morning about something I know absolutely nothing about. That's my disclaimer, and that's social media. I don't know anything about that. I hear about it. I walk around and hear about it. Hear somebody say, hey, do you follow, and they'll fill in the blank, on and fill in the blank. Are you following so-and-so? I just want to challenge you, church. When's the last time you asked somebody, do you follow Jesus? Because following mankind is fine. But that's not the way to heaven. We need to be careful who we're following. And we need to ask the question of others, do you follow Jesus? Because at the end of the day, that's the only thing we need to follow. It's just Jesus in this life to get to where we want to be. You know, we do our checklist pretty good at church. We say, okay, what do we do right? Well, we sing a cappella like they did in the first century, right? We take communion on the first day of the week like they did in the first century. That's correct. We meet on Sunday. That's correct. We have men who are leaders of the church, just like in the Bible. That's correct. You're baptized for the remission of your sins and enter the kingdom at that point. That's correct. The checklist is easy. There's a lot more to Christianity than that short checklist that we like to check off. It's where the rubber really meets the road. Because the checklist I just mentioned is the easy stuff. 
I want to talk about the hard stuff. Because we have, uh, the elders have been made aware this past week that we've had some of our church members that have had heated arguments, if you will, disagreements on these social media platforms. And it's not uh, beneficial to this church because Satan loves us to not get along. Satan absolutely loves everything about disagreements because Satan wins when we get involved in something like that. And so I want to encourage everyone here to strive for unity in this church because Satan would love to tear us apart. But the hard part of Christianity and probably the most two difficult passages that I know of in the Bible are passages that just so happen that Bill discussed in his class last Sunday morning. If you're not plugged into a Bible class, you need to consider getting up a little earlier next Sunday morning and head to the Family Life Center because Bill, as usual, has an excellent class. But the class last week was about forgiveness. And I want to read to you exactly what God says about that. Not Bill, not Wade, God. In Matthew 6, 14 through 15, it says, For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. In Mark 11, verse 25 through 26, And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him, so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father who is in heaven Forgive your sins. That's very sobering. The point was made last week by Judy Ham. A lot of people think they don't have to forgive because they weren't asked to forgive. And she was correct. But that's not what those verses say. And that was her point. Her point was they don't have to ask for forgiveness, we have to do it anyway. Our souls are on the line. We can do everything else right. But you can read those scriptures yourself. That's the most difficult thing I can find in the Bible. If I don't forgive someone, God's not going to forgive me, which condemns my soul to hell, and that is scary. So let's be big Christians. Let's be bigger than we are. Let's strive for unity and forgiveness Let's find a common ground. We won't find a common ground in this world. This world's full of division and hate, strife. Our job as Christians is to come together in unity and help each other because as I read on the first part of this sheet, all the people who have passed away and families that are hurting, families that are mourning, our job is to help each other get through this. Because this life is difficult. There's nothing easy about it. And God never promised us it would be easy. But he did promise us a home in heaven. 
And that's what we need to strive towards and help each other get there as best we can. If you'll bow with me, let's pray. Dear God, we come before you this morning recognizing you as the, the creator and sustainer of this world and universe. We humbly approach your throne this morning, dear God. We want to pray for all those families who have lost loved ones in the past week or so. We want to pray especially for Debbie Bynum, the passing of her mother, as well as Camille Mink, the passing of her mother yesterday. We pray, dear Heavenly Father, that you will comfort them and their family in this time of, of grief and loss. We always miss those who have passed on, but we know that we too shall join with them in the future. Our hearts are extremely saddened, dear God, by the loss of Corbin Stiefer this past week. Many things in this world we do not understand. But we pray, dear Heavenly Father, that we will reach out to the Stiefer family and try to support them and comfort them and encourage them in the difficult days ahead. We pray to your Heavenly Father for Fred Powell's family as well, as well as Doug Skinders. And their services were both held this past week. We pray that your comforting hand will be upon both of those families and that they combined you and us together will help them get through these difficult times. We pray for all of those on our sick list, those who are undergoing treatments, those who are recovering from, from COVID, those who are in the hospital currently that have COVID. We pray, dear Heavenly Father, that the treatments will be effective on that so that they may regain their, their much-needed health. We pray to your Heavenly Father, especially for our nation, this coming week of a transition. We pray to your Heavenly Father for peace in our country. We see the Satan's hand dividing us. And we know that if we're divided, we will fall. And so we pray, dear Heavenly Father, for unity in our nation and peace. And pray, dear Heavenly Father, for an orderly transition. We pray, dear Heavenly Father, for unity in our church body because we also know that if we are divided, there's only one winner, and that's Satan. And we're not interested. in Satan winning. We have many times this past year, dear God, wondered when you're returning. And we look forward to that day. We pray, dear Heavenly Father, that all of us will live in harmony with each other, brothers and sisters in Christ and forgive each other 
whether or not we're even asked to forgive, that we may live in peace and live in accordance to your word and your will. We fail you often, dear Heavenly Father, and for that we're indeed sorry. Pray that you will forgive us of our sins. In Jesus' name, amen. some bad. Let's not forget about the good, but I want you to know I am very, very happy to be here this morning. It is good to be with all of you here in person. For those of you watching online, uh, very happy to have you, and I'm just so thankful to be here. Uh, every Lord's Day, we all gather together, whether it's you know, online or in person. There may be large gatherings some not as large as this, some quite a bit larger. And there may be just some individual Christians that are in a remote area all by themselves. But we all stop to remember the suffering, death, and resurrection of, of your Lord and mine, Jesus Christ. And because of that, uh, I am just so thankful. I'm thankful to be alive, and I'm thankful to be a part of God's kingdom. And... At the end of the day, the only thing that you have to get right is your relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you're not 100% positive that your relationship with Jesus Christ is where it needs to be, don't leave here today before you talk to somebody. Jesus Christ was the Son of God. He left the right hand of God, lived a humble life, a perfect life, suffered a horrible death, 
died and rose again so that sinners like me and like you could have the hope of something that we'll never be able to earn, something we'll never deserve, which is a home in heaven. And for that, I am so thankful. I'm more thankful for that than anything else in my life. And so with that in mind, let's, let's pray right now. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the life, death, and resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ. Uh, we thank you so much, Father, for the hope of heaven and for your kingdom here on earth. And we pray, Father, that as we partake of this unleavened bread, which represents your son's body, that we do so in a manner that you find acceptable and well-pleasing. And these things we ask in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Let us pray. Dear Father, again, we approach your throne, and as we partake of this fruit of the vine, which represents your son's precious blood, help us to keep in mind that it is only because your son shed his blood that our souls are washed whiter than snow in your sight. We know, Father, that uh, the forgiveness that uh, your son earned for us on that cross is something we could never earn for ourselves. And we're just so thankful, Father, that your son shed his blood so that we could have this wonderful spiritual gift. As we partake, Father, may we do so again in a manner that you find acceptable and well-pleasing. These things we humbly ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Separate and apart from the Lord's Supper, each week the elders set aside uh, this time uh, to where we uh, give back to the Lord some of the blessings, the material blessings that he's given to us. Uh, it's important to remember that everything you have, uh, whether it's the ability to uh, generate money, whether it's the ability to make people laugh or uh, fix things when they're broken, everything bit of the talent and the ability, every gift that you have comes from God. And ultimately it belongs to him. It's just, it's, it doesn't belong to you. It's just on loan for you to use through your life. And we need to use it to glorify God. But at the, at this time though, it's, it's our honor and our privilege to give back to the Lord a portion of the blessings that he's bestowed upon us. So with that being said, let us go ahead and pray one more time. Dear Father in heaven, again, we approach your throne. We're so thankful for every day that uh, we get to live. We thank you for all the opportunity that presents itself every day to uh, serve each other, to serve humanity, and therefore to glorify you. Uh, we pray, Father, that uh, as we give back to you, we do so with a cheerful heart, with a thankful heart, 
And we thank you especially, Father, for the spiritual blessings that we have through your son, Jesus. And it is in his name that we pray. Amen. Our young people are dismissed at this time for their uh, classes. And if you would, please stand and join me in the singing of a wonderful Savior, is Jesus my Lord. especially, and uh, as Wade shared, uh, not quite done yet. Uh, there are still challenges uh, to meet, and yet at the same time, uh, we recognize God's presence in a very real way. It's wonderful to be able to um, acknowledge the needs that we have, as uh, Wade shared, and as you pray regularly for, and those prayers are continuing to be needed. It's wonderful to acknowledge uh, prayers answered. And more and more we see folks uh, coming back here in person. More and more we uh, hear about those that are worshiping with us and continue to give, continue to stay connected with us online. And uh, that is uh, an especially great, great blessing. Um, it's wonderful to see the Fidels with us today and I know they have been through some of those exact kinds of things, and we're grateful for God's uh, blessing and healing. And uh, 
that's, that's the good way of being called out in church, Rick. I just wanted you to, to know that. Um, we love them so much and have had them in our hearts. Um, there are several things that are going on right now. Wade mentioned several of them that affect us directly in this church and in our church family. But there are other things that are going on that affect us as well, perhaps in a more indirect way, but things that are of vital importance. Human Trafficking Awareness Day is something that is being brought to our attention at this time the horrible tragedy of human trafficking. The Sanctity of Life Sunday is today. There's an annual March for Life that traditionally has taken place in Washington, D.C. for years and years, drawing thousands and thousands of people. And it's not going to be done in person this year, but it will be done uh, through the Internet, through... uh, vicarious means of electronics that we have in a virtual way and a great blessing. So I encourage you to, uh, to go to marchforlife.org, uh, I believe is their website, and uh, be prayerful about that important issue and about this important uh, time. Uh, National Religious Freedom Day is also uh, being celebrated. And such an important thing and a great, great blessing. Uh, God nowhere guarantees that. In fact, we read through the pages of the New Testament and they didn't have it. And it didn't stop them from practicing their religion and worshiping the Lord as Wade shared earlier. And they paid for it with their lives at times. But we are grateful to have a greater degree of religious freedom. And so it's good to acknowledge that be thankful for it. Tomorrow is Martin Luther King Jr. Day, a day of remembrance every year for um, a man who spoke out prophetically against some of the sins of our land. And, um, And that's an annual thing, and it's a good thing. And it comes at a very important time, obviously, for our nation, and we need his words today. And then Wednesday is Inauguration Day. Not just um, a time during this time when we are inaugurating new uh, Congress, congressional members, new representatives, new senators, but on Wednesday where we inaugurate a new president and a new vice president. So in the midst of all of this, as Wade shared, we pray for our current leaders, for President Trump and for Vice President Pence and for their families for their staff during this transition. And we pray for soon-to-be President Biden and soon-to-be Vice President Harris and for their families and for their staff, for all of our leaders. And we do that because it's the right thing to do, but we do that because Scripture commands it. And so we pray. A lot going on. Some of it you may be excited about, some of it maybe not so much. But all of that is seen in light of the message today. All of that is seen in light of this important statement 
It's first found in Habakkuk 2 and then later in a few places in the New Testament, including in Romans 1. And that statement is this, the righteous will live by faith. The righteous will live by faith. Sounds easy, right? But we know that it's not easy to live by faith in trusting obedience. We would rather live by sight. (laughs) We would rather everything happening around us be exactly as we think it should be. But in this world, that's not the case a lot of the times. Sometimes yes, a lot of the times no. And so where are we then? Well, we're actually right where we're supposed to be all the time. Living by faith. It's not easy, certainly not in these times, but it has never been easy. Because, again, as Wade shared, Satan doesn't want us to live by faith. Satan wants us to give up that faith and to turn to something else. And nothing else measures up. Nothing else is enough. One thing that will help us live by faith is to be made righteous by faith. And that's where Paul gets to very quickly in the book of Romans. And so I want us to remember this statement, the righteous will live by faith. And as we began this series of lessons from the book of Romans, we continue with the same thought today, but seen in the passages in chapter 1. As we talk about righteousness living and the righteousness of God. Romans 1 calls us back to that and sets the stage for everything that will follow. We serve a very powerful God, much more powerful than any of the authorities that we see and read about and hear from every day in this world. Our God is far more powerful, but not in the way the world measures power. And so today we speak of two things, the power of the gospel in just a moment, but first of all, the power of the resurrection. And this is where Paul begins the book of Romans. The power of the resurrection In Romans chapter 1, the first four verses, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness, verse 4, was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. It's interesting how Paul, the former Saul of Tarsus, the former Jewish leader, the former persecutor of the church, says this, that this was all acknowledged and taught about and spoken about in the scriptures that Saul of Tarsus was very much aware of, but for some reason or another, never quite saw clearly (laughs) until that day on the road to Damascus. Well, Paul acknowledges that now, that this is the gospel that was set apart, was, was before all the prophets. It was something that they shared about, that they looked forward to, that was revealed in the days of Jesus of Nazareth and was revealed especially through his death, burial, and resurrection. 
fulfilling prophecy. He was a descendant of David, a descendant of Abraham, the royal line from King David. But through the spirit of holiness, it was affirmed and acknowledged, powerfully demonstrated that he was the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. The writer of Hebrews begins his great Uh, treaties, his word of exhortation, as he calls it. And he begins it in a similar way, but he doesn't just talk about Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. He also talks about his ascension and his presentation of his own blood as the blood of the sacrifice in the very throne room of God, the ultimate holy of holies. And in 1 Corinthians 15, as you know, Paul speaks a lot about the resurrection and, and its importance. And in that, he shares some of the same kinds of things that he says here, that this is a declaration that what Jesus said and did was true, that he is the Son of God. And we think of all those things that people said when he was on the cross. Come down and we'll believe you. Call those thousands of angels to deliver you and we'll believe you. And it it didn't happen. And you see, if that's how God had acted, that would be consistent with the way powerful people in our world act today. That's the worldly kind of power. He could have done that. And he could have saved his son's life. He wouldn't have saved us, however. And that's why he stayed. But we realize that that tomb was found empty on that first day of the week following. And everything that Jesus said and everything that he did was verified. He was declared with power, affirmed with power, demonstrated with power to be the son of God through the resurrection of the dead. If he had stayed in the tomb, we would not be here today. There would be no reason. But he did not stay in the tomb. He was raised from the grave. The power of the resurrection. Jesus declared to be the son of God through that resurrection with that power. And it's what separates him from everyone else. And it's what gives authority and even possibility to where Paul will go from here. Because it's one thing for Jesus to be declared the son of God with power through the resurrection, but that resurrection declared something else. It declared your salvation and mine. Because it was only through that death, burial, and resurrection that we could be saved, that we could have hope. The power of the resurrection is followed by, in Romans chapter 1, the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel, the good news, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 14, Paul speaks about that gospel. I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, Gentiles and Jews, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. You see, he had never been there. He would be there uh, later upon his release uh, and be able to send uh, not just the gospel message through the written word, but to send them his presence. But he would not 
do that freely in the sense that he would still be incarcerated, that he would still be under Roman guard. But he would be able to preach there ultimately, as we read in Acts 28. Verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. And that's different than what Paul had grown up with. That's different than what a lot of us at times have believed. For Paul, as a good Jew, the righteous didn't live by faith. They didn't uh, receive cleansing and salvation by faith. They did it by observance of law. And it was not enough. And it's not enough for us either. And that's why Paul starts here. And that's why he very openly declares, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. You see, if you're righteous because of your obedience to law, that's your righteousness. That's not God's righteousness. But in the gospel, the good news, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as is written, the righteous will live by faith. It's, it's by faith from beginning to end. There's nothing we can do to earn it. There's nothing we can do to deserve it. There's not enough laws that we could obey. (laughs) Not enough thou shalts that we could do. Not enough thou shalt nots that we could refrain from doing to receive the righteousness that comes from God because it is given to us in spite of our sins and it is given to us because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. A righteousness That is, by faith, from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. That is the good news. That is the gospel. He comes back to that in Romans chapter 3 that we'll deal with on another time in a more specific way. As he talks about that price that Jesus paid so that the mercy of God and the justice of God could both be satisfied. He could have gone one way or the other, but the nature of God would not allow that. He must be true to his nature as a God of justice, but also as a God of mercy. And he found a way, and as Davy shared from John three sixteen earlier, that way was the life of his son. That is the good news, that someone died for you. Someone died for you. For me. That's the power of the gospel. Paul, as he writes to the Corinthians, alludes to that in 1 Corinthians 1 and, and uh, compares that with the righteousness and the wisdom of the world versus the righteousness and the wisdom from God. They, they don't get it. People of the world don't get it. The Jews think it's scandalous. They can't imagine someone who is accursed according to the law because he was crucified, how he could be the savior, how he could be the Messiah. And that's why Saul of Tarsus stood so strongly against that. Because for him, it went against everything that he had heard and believed. And he would not accept it until Jesus confronted him himself. Scandalous to the Jews that that's how God would bring this about, but it's foolishness to the non-Jews, to the Gentiles. They're, they're thinking, 
people of the world think that that's not the way you do that. <laughs> you don't overcome. You're not victorious by losing your life. They would have understood it if he had called the 12,000 legions of angels down and delivered him and taken him off the cross. That would have been acceptable to the non-Jews, to the Gentiles. They would have gotten that. That's worldly power getting your way because you force it on someone. And that's what many in our country believe today. That's how you get your way, is by forcing it on someone. So I'm going to leave the politics aside and just talk to us as people of faith, as Christians. That's not how we live. It's not how we see things. We don't gain those things because we force it upon others. We follow the example of Jesus Christ who very disappointedly allowed people to walk away but continued to live and to share the Father's will. That's what we do. That's what we do. Because our trust is in the power of the gospel. Paul mentions that in in 1 Corinthians 2. And again, of course, naming it in, in 1 Corinthians 15. A wonderful Savior is Jesus, my Lord. He's the only Savior. There's no one else. There's nothing else that can save us. Only Jesus. And so our ultimate allegiance is only to Jesus as Lord. There's going to be things we're involved in in this world, and that's rightly so. There's going to be relationships we have, jobs we have, positions we take, rightly so, friendships we have, associations we're a part of, but none of those is the gospel. And none of those leaders is the Lord or the Savior. Because a wonderful Savior is Jesus, my Lord, and him alone. The power of the gospel. It's by faith from first to last, A to Z, beginning to end. And that's how we must see it. Because if we don't see it that way, then it's my righteousness and not the righteousness of God. And that makes us nervous. It truly does. Especially if you've been good Church of Christ folk for a long time, it really makes you nervous. (laughs) And so I want us to look a little bit deeper at those verses before we close. With this statement, righteousness living and the righteousness of God is what Paul is talking about in the book of Romans. And not either or, but both. Righteousness living and the righteousness of God. And as we're going to see, both of those go back to this great statement from Habakkuk 2 that Paul recounts in Romans 1, verses 14 through 17. 
But let's break this down for just a moment. First of all, the righteous will live by faith. Those who are righteous will live by their faith and the faith of Jesus Christ. Romans 6 speaks of that as he talks about us living a new life and kind of has a little bit of a parenthesis before he gets back into his point in the first 11 chapters. But then in Romans chapter 12, that's when that really starts. And it starts with these words, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice in view of all of God's mercies. And when he says you offer it as a living sacrifice, that encompasses everything. There's never a time when you can check your Christianity at the door, as I say. There's never a time when it's okay to speak to someone harshly. There's never a time when it's okay to not be godly in the things you say and the things you do. It doesn't mean you never confront people. Jesus clearly did that, but he didn't give up his values in doing it. In fact, he affirmed them. And when we get to that section in Romans 12 through 16, we're going to hit some of those issues very hard. As Wade shared about forgiveness, as we talked about in our lesson in our class last week, Paul is going to have a lot to say about that in the last half of Romans chapter 12. Leaving vengeance to God. Being willing to forgive and and let go of some things. Turning them over to God. It doesn't mean relationships are restored. It doesn't mean consequences aren't paid. Those things may happen, they may not happen. But what must happen is that we let God be God and let him take vengeance and let him decide. Galatians 5 speaks of living by the Spirit as he gets to that part, the part of the righteous living by faith. The first part of the book of Galatians, almost all of it, four and a half chapters, deals with what we're about to talk about. But then the last couple of chapters deal with this part, living by faith, because you are righteous. Ephesians 4 through 6 does the same. And we go back to that passage in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, that Old Testament setting in the 6th century BC, where Habakkuk offers up this prayer to God as a good Jew. And he says, how can you let all this injustice go on? And God says, well, thanks for bringing that up, Habakkuk. I'm about to deal with it. I'm going to bring in the ruthless, cruel, pagan, heartless, selfish Babylonians to discipline my people. And they're going to carry them away into captivity. And Habakkuk says, no, 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 that's not going to happen. That can't happen. You're too good of a God to do that. You're too just to allow a less righteous nation to punish a more righteous nation. Habakkuk literally says that in chapter 1. And God responds to him in chapter 2 and he says, Well, Habakkuk, there's just some things about being God you're not going to understand and are never going to understand. And my righteous one will live by faith. Basically what he's saying is you're just going to have to trust me on this one. You're never going to get it. You have to live by faith when you can't see. In chapter 3 of Habakkuk, the prophet says, I'm, that's good enough for me. No matter what happens, even if there's no, the plants aren't budding, there's no cows out in the field, there's, the barn's empty, 
I will trust in the Lord. I will live by faith. The writer of Hebrews quotes that passage in Hebrews chapter 10, talking to Jewish Christians who were being persecuted horribly because of their faith, because of the name of Christ. And in chapter 11, as you know, he's going to say, by faith, all of these great Old Testament heroes heroes did all these amazing things. And in chapter 12, he's going to say, Jesus, by faith, did this great, amazing thing, being willing to give his life for us. But at the end of Hebrews 10, as he's leading up to that, he says, Habakkuk told us about this. He said, the righteous will live by faith. When things don't make sense, you have to live by faith. That was true in Habakkuk's day. That was true in the days of the writer of the book of Hebrews. The righteous will live by faith. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. As you've heard me say, perhaps, that song comes directly from Lamentations 3 that Jeremiah wrote, filled with lament, filled with sorrow and heartache over all the destruction that he was seeing in Jerusalem and in Judah at the time of the Babylonian captivity. Their leaders being killed, all the, their people being taken into exile. And yet in the midst of that, there is this, this, the cloud breaks for just a moment and Jeremiah shares the words of these great songs. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, even when I can't see it. We're talking about righteousness living when we say the righteous We'll live by faith. It's one of the great themes of the book of Romans. It's the next one. It's not this one. It's the one that starts really in chapter 12, alluded to in chapter 6. It's trusting God even when you can't understand him. It's living faithfully. As Wade shared, do you follow Jesus is the question. That's, That's answered here by what you say and what you do and how you live. Is it by faith? But the second way of looking at this great statement from Habakkuk is this, the righteous by faith will live. The righteous ones will live by faith. In fact, I think that's how Habakkuk uses it and the writer of Hebrews. But Paul in Romans 1 uses it differently. In Galatians uh, 3, he's going to use it differently quoting the same statement, but doing it this way, the righteous by faith will live. Who is it that will live? Who is it that will be saved? Who is it that will be forgiven? It is the ones who receive the righteousness of God, not their own. It's the ones who are righteous by faith. They are the ones who will live. And that is exactly the point that Paul is making in Romans 1 through 11. And that is exactly the point that Paul makes it the first part of Galatians and the first part of Ephesians. And again, it's these words in Romans 1, verses 16 and 17. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. How do they live? How do they become righteous? How do they live and not die? By faith. By trusting in Jesus Christ. As Paul contrasts a righteousness of my own that comes through obedience to law keeping 
In Galatians 3, he quotes this same passage and he says, that will never do. Why? Because the righteous will live by faith. The righteous who are that way by faith, they're the only ones that will live eternally. That is the righteousness of God. That is the righteousness of God. And we are called to live a faithful life, day in and day out, week in and week out, year in and year out. That is true. But the reason that we do that is because we are righteous, made righteous by faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Only a step, only a step. Come, for he bled for you and died. He's the same loving Savior yet, Jesus, the crucified. If you want to make that step today, come as we stand and sing this great old hymn. Hear the sweet voice of Jesus say, come unto me, I am the way. Hearken the loving call, obey, come for he loves you. Mothers here, his brothers are here, his family is here. Yes, they are all there, and what a wonderful blessing that is. Um, Caleb comes asking to be baptized into Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of his sins, and so Caleb, I want to ask you this question: What do you believe about Jesus? Um, well, if I had to start it off um, like this, it would be that um, Jesus um, is the Son of God, and He was crucified in. Um, Zero BCE, and um, and the whole you know the whole Bible was written about him. And since that book that we have aspired to for so long um, as Christians, um, just think about this: it, it is it was written way back, like two thousand years ago, and it's still so useful today. How is that? The only way that that can happen is probably that God helped write it, and that is that is what I believe. And um, just thinking about this year. And just how bad it has been. And I want to rebuild myself because I've taken a lot of hits from this year. And I want to rebuild myself and I wanted to spread out um, and use Christ as a waypoint in my life. So that's what I wanted to say. 
What a glorious confession, Caleb. What a, what a Caleb confession. <laughs> I love you for that. And yeah. I agree with everything that you just said. Yeah. And I am so thrilled that you believe that Jesus is the son of God. And that in the midst of this year, these past 12 months, that that has brought you to this point. And I'm thankful for that. Caleb, I want you to know you have been created in the image of God. And what you're about to do right now will allow you to be what, exactly what you talked about, to share that image of God with those around you for the rest of your life. And Jesus has promised that he will always be with you. God bless you, Caleb. Thank you. You'll figure that out. As they prepare for uh, Caleb's baptism, if you would get a songbook and turn to number 662. We'll sing number 662, All to Jesus I Surrender.
confess that you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that you want Him to be a part of your life and your Savior in difficult times and in good times as well. I now baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit for the forgiveness of your sins, that you might receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Amen.